All right, Alexander, let's talk about the German economy. Maybe we'll also talk about uh, the Russian economy as well and any other economies we would like to talk about. But uh, the big focus is on Germany and the recession that Germany is in. Uh, I suspect that Germany has been in a recession for some time now, but the numbers were were massaged quite a bit in order to avoid the announcement, the official announcement that Germany is in recession. But I think they can't uh, fiddle around with the numbers any more than they have. And they have to come out and just admit that Germany is indeed in a recession. This is indisputable. The German economy is, uh, is in bad shape. And we all know why it's in bad shape. Uh, what do you make of, uh, of this news? No, I think this is exactly correct. And I think uh, um, Germany's definitely been in recession for some time. It went through a major inflation crisis. Uh, it is, in fact, still in an inflation crisis. I think people uh, understate the extent to which these problems with inflation are not going away. They're now becoming systemic and permanent. And, of course, the problem with energy costs is going to be, is going to be now systemic as well. Germany's cut itself off from cheap gas and oil from Russia, and its industries are becoming increasingly affected, just as we said they would be. Now, as always happens, the German government tried to prioritise lowering, lowering inflation within Germany, because the Germans are keen on lowering inflation. So the result is that by lowering the inflation numbers they put themselves in a recession. If we compare it with another economy, which is Britain, the British prioritised avoiding the appearance of a recession. Even though, I tell you straightforwardly, Britain is in recession. But anyway, they, they want to avoid appearing to be in a recession. Um, so the result is the inflation numbers in Britain have come out much higher. But the two countries actually are in the same type of situation. Both are facing a massive problem of rising costs. Both have seen their economic models break down. Neither of them has a clear process forward. And in both countries, there is a political crisis. We've talked about the political crisis in Britain at very great lengths. You know, the fact that Sunak is the Prime Minister of Stasis, of Stagnation, that Keir Starmer has no plan. We've talked about that a lot. In Germany, however, also, there are now clear signs of a political, a political cracks emerging. There's, there's, uh, the Greens are now in falling. They had a very bad uh, election result in Bremen, which is this um, city in the north of Germany, near the Baltic, on the Baltic Sea. Um, they, their, um, the vice chancellor and leader of their party, Robert Habeck, has been caught out in a nepotism row. He's now trying to prevent boilers being installed in new build houses. Anyway, that I think has just been a catalyst for growing resentment in Germany at the way in which the Greens have massively overreached, and there is a huge and furious feud between the Greens and the FDP, the Liberal Party, which is the other part 
of Olaf Scholz's coalition. And they could, the, the, uh, the, the Liberal Party controls the finance ministry. Christian Lindner is there. He and Habeck apparently don't get on very well. And now there is the signs of a political crisis in Germany too, with many people talking about the coalition being in the early stages of collapse. So you could see that the pattern is very similar in some ways. At best, stagnation in Britain, if it is really stagnation, but with very, very bad inflation prospects. Recession in Germany. Early stages of deindustrialization there. We've talked about this before, but we're starting to see that becoming increasingly visible. And in both countries, a broken political system. No real ideas about what to do next. Um, all of them agreeing only about one thing, which is about providing unending support for Ukraine, with uh, the German defence minister even saying, you know, that we have to go on supporting Ukraine, because if we don't, it will collapse in a few days, which is an interesting admission in itself, by the way. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't see how you can sell this to, to your citizens. But then again, you know, they, they sold Nord Stream. I mean, you know, I, I don't know how Germany is, is pulling off this magic trick or, or what, what the media space is like in Germany. But uh, people aren't, aren't talking much about how the Biden White House blew up uh, critical German infrastructure. So I, I just, you know, how, how do you sell billions and billions of, of euros to, your, to Ukraine while your own economy is, is in a recession? I, I, I don't know. But yeah. Uh, well, the media space in Germany is terrible, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it has been uh, even more conformist and monolithic for an even longer period of time than, say, the media space in Britain has been. So, you know, that gives you some idea. But there is a difference in Germany in that um, there are, you know, at either end of the political spectrum, there are political forces like uh, the IFD and Die Linke, which, in contrast to Britain, are still able to express themselves and do have representation in the German parliament, and um, which do have strong uh, roots, especially in eastern Germany. So, you know, but, but they have been able to pull it off. The question is, how much longer can they go on doing this? Because the long term isn't going to get better. It's going to get worse. Now, this is increasingly understood in Britain, by the way. I mean, you see, you read lots of commentaries, particularly by people on the right, who are gradually coming to acknowledge that Britain is now in a state of uh, long-term decline. Um, I don't think this is quite fully hit through in Germany. But if and when it does, which at some point I'm sure it will, then of course that could have very important effects on the political on political outcomes there as well. But you know, for the moment things are holding together just about, even as the economies of both Britain and Germany, as I say, go into long term decline. 
Well, I find it interesting that you say that uh, there are many analysts in the UK that are starting to accept the fact that the, the economy in the UK is in bad shape because I was uh, reading a lot of tweets from uh, British politicians and parliament members who were, um, I guess you could say they were gloating, happy about the fact that Germany was in recession because they were saying that the UK is not in recession and is actually in growth while Germany is uh, is not doing so well. And I guess they were just trying to get the point across that they're managing the economy much better than than the, than the Germans are. And so that's yeah. proof that the political class in Britain is doing a good job. I mean, you know, these were some pretty prominent names as well in the political elite in the UK. And they seemed to uh, to believe that uh, the the UK economy is is doing really well as the German economy is reeling and that that's proof of of the type of job that the British political class is doing they're they're doing a great job yeah that that i mean that basically further shows you the complete disconnect between the political class in britain and the political and, and the political and economic reality which most people in britain experience because yes Britain is not growing. It's in stagnation. I mean, we just managed, we just squeaked. This is only statistics, bear in mind. I mean, you know, statistics can show lots of things. But they they, they, they just avoided recession in this, this year. But this is hardly growth, as was once understood. And, of course, it comes with high inflation numbers. Now, just two days ago, we had... Um, inflation um, the, the the latest inflation numbers released and they were much worse than anybody anybody had expected and um, that has created angst because of course the inflation is affecting in fact core inflation in Britain is rising the inflation is affecting people you know obviously the people who live in Britain, not the not not the Rishi Sunaks and people of that kind, the super elite, but most people are very affected by the inflation. They are seeing their cost of living uh, uh, get worse, rise. They are under an awful lot of economic pressure all the time, and of course the markets responded to this news with very negatively over you know the. Um, inflation increase and um, the yields on gilts that's to say British government bonds have surged back to the level they were under Liz Truss so you see it, this optimism that that the British politicians are trying to pump out it, it's not really based on anything it's just that they're obsessed with Germany which they always have been by the way that they're very frustrated by the fact that Germany always seems to produce, deliver better economic results than Britain does, at least has done for the you know, last 50 years or so. So they're always obsessed with Germany. They're always measuring themselves against Germany. And they're ignoring the reality, which is that things in Britain itself are getting worse. And if you disregard the politicians, if you look at the real analysts, the real economists, the people who are actually looking, going through, sifting through the figures, 
they're becoming increasingly pessimistic about the long term. And before long, they will in Germany too, because um, unless there is a radical reversal of policy, a, a fundamental change of direction, it's impossible to see how this can get better. Well, there's there's not going to be a reversal in direction, at least. I, I can't. To reverse direction, you need to reverse leadership. Yes. You need to reverse the parties, the political parties. And yes. I don't know. I can't see that. But um, uh, the Russian economy. Yeah. How's that looking? Right. OK, well, let's, before before I uh, go to the Russian economy, can I just make a point? Because you're absolutely right. It's very difficult to see a change of direction, in a reversal of direction in Britain or Germany, because it's no longer a case as it might once have been of one party winning an election and changing direction. So, you know, in 1979, Margaret Thatcher won an election and she broke with the economic policies that had been followed uh, by the Labour and Conservative parties before. But she was able to do that because she was leading the Conservative Party. There is no figure like that today in either in Germany or in Britain. People like that cannot function within the political system that you have today. If you're going to change direction, you can't just do it through winning an election. You have to change the entire political class. And that makes it incredibly difficult because this political class, what makes it even more difficult is that this political class isn't just confined to your own country. It is now pan-European and, to a great extent, global, at least across the collective West. So trying to change all of that, very, very difficult. Sooner or later, something will happen because this is unsustainable. But for the moment, one can't see any real real change. Anyway, let's turn to the Russian economy. There's been a lot of news. Putin's been meeting with various officials. He had a, a big meeting of his government, um, the economic figures in his government the other day. They were talking about the state of the economy there. Um, he's also um, had a one-to-one -one meeting with the uh, head of the agriculture ministry, Dmitry Petrushev, who is, by the way, the brother of Nikolai Petrushev, the secretary of the Russian Security Council and the man who's in charge of the intelligence agencies. So, you know, the two Petrushev brothers are a pretty formidable team. But anyway, so there have been all of those meetings. But before I talk about that, there was a very interesting report in, of all places, CNBC, not the sort of place you normally expect to have positive things said about the Russian economy. Anyway, it admitted that uh, Russian oil, Russian revenues from the sale of oil are now rising again, which explains, by the way, the recent strength of the ruble. Um, and it also said that the oil price cap has failed. I mean, es essentially, that is what it said, that the, the Russians are no longer giving discounts for the oil they're selling in the Far East, that um, they find they're having no problems finding buyers. Russian oil sales, oil exports are, are high, 
and rising and above 2021 levels. And uh, that whole, uh, and the price cap no longer has any real influence or effect in oil trades, Russian oil trades in the Far East. So just to mention that, but coming to the economy itself, um, there, in contrast to Britain and Germany, the Russians themselves are looking at a brightening picture. So inflation, the headline inflation number in Russia is now 2.3% annualised inflation, which is <laughs> lower, much lower than in Britain, where it's about 8.7%. It's lower, by the way, than in the United States, where it's about 5%. It's lower than in Germany, which is also, I believe, about 5%. These are headline figures. Russian inflation numbers, by the way, are reliable. Western inflation numbers, probably not. Just, just, just saying. So inflation is well down, and though the central bank is worried that there might be an infla inflation uptick um, at the end of the year, principally for statistical reasons, usually in the summer with the harvest in, food prices in Russia fall. And in fact, Petrushev, Dmitry Petrushev, the agriculture minister, was reporting to Putin that Russian agriculture remains in a major upswing. They had a record food production last year. They look likely to exceed that this year. They have plenty of food to export, and they have food to cover pretty much all their needs. So that's also putting downward pressure on inflation. But the other figures that were perhaps even more interesting, industrial production. It's not even, there are some parts of the industrial economy where there's still problems, like um, the car industry, which relied heavily on imports of subcomponents from Europe. But overall, industrial production seems to be up. Consumer spending seems to be up. And real incomes are growing. <laughs> That's a fundamental difference from the West. I mean, Russians are getting richer again. I mean, they became poorer last year because of the inflation. This year, they're getting richer. They're starting to see their incomes, their bank balances recover. And that's making them more confident and they're spending more. A comprehensive defeat on an economic level in this absolutely. conflict. Absolutely. Russia has absolutely uh, demolished the collective West in this yes. economic so, war. Yeah. Completely yes. demolished them. Yes. Yeah. And just to repeat again, this is the biggest picture. <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we spend a huge amount of time on the Duran, on my channel, I spend an enormous amount of time talking about, you know, the military developments in Ukraine, and they're important. I mean, the outcome of the war is important, but it is the economic realities, first of all, which predetermine the outcome of that war. The stronger economy is going to win. And for the moment, that's clearly Russia's. But secondly, the fact that the West has lost its economic war is going to have colossal implications 
for the future. It, it, it has shown to people around the world that you can defy the West and win. And the, one of the reasons why there is this mad rush, not mad rush, this huge rush out of the dollar, why people are busy setting up uh, trading agreements with each other in currencies other than the dollar, to the point where even the Financial Times is admitting that this process is now becoming irreversible, is not just that the Biden administration wrecked trust in the American-led financial system through this use of sanctions, but because the Russians, by coming through, showed that there are actual viable alternatives so that people are not scared to explore those alternatives as they might once have been. And this is a game changer. I mean, this is the single biggest event of the last two years, bigger than anything that happens in Bakhmut or <laughs> Avdevka or any place like that. And you can throw F-16s at the wall, but you can't throw F-16s to try and sort out this problem. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, that's... It's the economic side of things and the psychology behind the the financial and economic sides of things. Yeah, the U.S. the collective West has lost their their most powerful tool when it comes to to running the world, and that's the the sanctions weapon, and Absolutely. that's been just neutralized. Absolutely, by, I... by the Russians, and and they lost trust. They lost trust. People do not trust uh, the 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 United States anymore. They don't trust the European Union anymore. I'm talking on a on a financial level. They just don't trust the uh, the systems that underpin these uh, these economies in these countries anymore, because Absolutely. they started to to sanction and confiscate stuff and close uh, airspace and shut down media um, channels. I mean, all of these things. The one thing uh, combined with the others just just led the entire world to say, you know, this is this is not working. This is not working, and we need an alternative. Exactly. Uh, I will just finish by saying that we you know because there's uh, there was an article yesterday you know, about you know this, the, the the Russian Revolution, which is on the way. Revolutions don't usually happen when people are getting wealthier; <laughs> they're seeing their incomes rise. And you know, the, in 1917, Russia was at war, but there were also major problems. There was an inflation crisis there. People were under economic pressure um, in St. Petersburg and those places. And, um, of course, in the Soviet Union, when it collapsed, well, its economy was in deep crisis. <laughs> so Russia's economy is not in crisis. People are feeling better off. And, as I said, it doesn't usually cause result in revolution. When You don't usually see revolutions when conditions are like that. So, you know, all of these Western expectations of a political upheaval in Moscow, they don't look at all plausible at the moment. Yeah, but the collective West economies are not looking too good, so no, maybe they should be the ones that are worried about revolution. <laughs> well, uh, you know, it's interesting you say that because, of course, mm. in a sense, and I don't, I don't want to get onto too much predictive mode, but... Uh, Revolutions tend to happen 
when the conditions deteriorate, material conditions of life deteriorate, but there is no solution offered from the political system. The political system can't respond to the challenge. And I have to say this, in the West, we are starting to evolve into precisely that kind of situation. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow or next year or in five years or in ten. We're still at a relatively early stage of that process. But, you know, I, you know we are living dangerously, let's put it like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, thedurad.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, Rockfin, BitChute, and Telegram. And go to Durad Shop, 10% off. Use the code Good Day. Take care.